talking drums, bringing extreme discussions from the world's top drummers to your ear holes. This episode is brought to you by Los Cabos Drumsticks, Canada's number one choice for drumsticks. They provide the wood you need to make the beats you deserve. Los Cabos Drumsticks. Now with your host, Corey Hoffing. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the We're Talking Drums podcast. I am your host, Corey Hoffing. Another week here and it is a really, really awesome episode I have for you. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to give a big thank you to all you amazing listeners and supporters out there. It is absolutely fantastic, and we wouldn't be able to do what we do without your support. So thank you very much. Please continue to share our episodes with your friends. It truly helps the podcast grow and helps as many drummers and musicians and just in general people uh, hear the conversations that we are having here. So thank you very much for that. If you are listening on Spotify, please give us a follow. And if you are on Apple Music or iTunes, then leave us a review if you can. It is greatly appreciated. And once again, it helps the podcast grow. And, uh, you know, even though we uh we we aren't here to make a buck we aren't here to uh to to take money we aren't we uh, will never charge you for this but we do want as many people listening as possible and if you feel like you get something out of this podcast then hopefully your friends your fans your your family members will as well so Once again, thank you very much, and it is greatly appreciated. So this week on the podcast, I sat down with my buddy Alan Cassidy from the Black Dahlia Murder. We talked about so, so many things, including their most recent tour, uh, supporting their newest record, Verminous. Uh, which was actually released in 2020, and we we kind of get into the release of that uh, and, and uh, their extremely successful tour that they just got off of, uh, and and what that was like. Uh, we also discussed his two dogs that are absolutely adorable, and if you stick around to the end, he uh, he gives a little preview of his brand new Tama drum kit. So uh, please stick around. All you all you drummers are gonna gonna want to hear about the juicy details. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Alan Cassidy of the Black Dahlia Murder. Alan Cassidy, welcome to the We're Talking Drums podcast. How's it going, man? How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I had a late night doing a D&D session, and so I'm just trying to wake up right now. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, you said that you were playing your first horror Cabin in the Woods inspired D&D game I saw. So the, what, what was that about, man? So a buddy of mine just decided to um, kind of come up with his own like RPG game uh, that is based around the movie Cabin in the Woods. And um, basically it was a group of us um, 
you know, like we came up with our own characters and uh, all of us just end up at this cabin in the woods. I mean, and this is like the first horror scenario. Um, and uh, like that movie, you can find um, artifacts that start a horror scenario. Um, and so it, it took a bit to get into because it was kind of like the first like real playthrough of this game that he had, you know, basically made up himself. And, and like for anybody who hasn't played D and D, there's like so many, uh, details that you can come up with, um, in a game, like, you know, you gotta hang on to items and you have to eat rations like food and, and you have to continuously find rations and shit like that, you know, to stay alive because you gotta eat. And, um, so this, this was like, we just were trying to find the balance of the game to, you know, get the story moving, but also, um, create enough detail, uh, with the characters and the gameplay that, uh, you know, we could, we could really go, uh, a lot of different places with things. And so, um, we still have to finish that game up. It took like literally four and a half, five hours last night to try and get halfway through it. <laughs> and, uh, so we're going to wrap that one up and then there'll be some other scenario, uh, that gets created with the next time we get into a different one. So I'm excited about that. It's, it's definitely different. I've never done anything like that before. And it's, it was funny. Somebody mentioned it's like playing dolls in real life. You're like, you're, you're taking your little characters on this like table plot. <laughs> Uh, uh, website and and it's just got you know all your own art for the board and your characters and shit and you're like okay now pretend that like I'm going into this room and I'm looking around for like you know a light switch and it turns out that the power's not on in the cabin yet so it, it's kind of ridiculous when you think about <laughs> it like that but it's also pretty fun yeah man uh, D&D just in general uh, is something that I wanted to get into but I just never never had the time or never was around people I guess that were into it but that's what it kind of seems like it is like a grown up version of playing with dolls like <laughs> yeah man it's so much fun if you have the right people but um, you mm. definitely don't want to get you know too uh, self conscious about it I think that's that's where like you know, things might start, uh, feeling wonky or whatever. You just got to like fully submerge yourself into the character and into the scenario and things like that. Yeah, man, you got, you got to let every, everything else in the world go and just like really dive in to, to what you're doing right then. And that's it, man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I had a great time. It was fun. You get to do a bunch of dumb voices for characters and I don't know, kind of just pull scenarios out of your ass and just see how that, you know, <laughs> uh, spirals off. Yeah, man. It's funny. Not It's Dungeons and Dragons, but you're like, oh, we're going to be in a cabin in the woods, play out this horror scenario. You know, it's, it's getting to the end of October. It's that type of type of vibe out there in the world so why not dude dude i'm all about it spooky season is the fucking best like i wish that we would let this shit ride out to the end of november uh like we let christmas just you know ride out into the end of january <laughs> yeah i know like christmas starts uh december 1st 
you know, and then goes till like February. It's ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody's holding on to their dead Christmas trees. It's a fire hazard and they love it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But dude, I'd say like more, more recently though, as soon as fall hits like Halloween is here, like everybody gets into it like this year, like top of September, boom. Like I started seeing Halloween decorations coming out and like everybody's like getting into the season of it, you know? Yeah, true. I should have done that. So I could have felt more in the spirit, but actually I was on a tour the whole time. So I I was gone from September 3rd till October 10th. And uh, so, yeah, just didn't get to really, you know, um, celebrate it properly, I guess. Yeah, man. Well, let's let's get into that then, because this is the first tour back in quite a while, uh, you know, due to recent events. Um, but yeah, you guys were gone for a long while. It's uh, up from the sewers. Uh, 2021 tour with uh, after the burial carnifex rivers of Nile and undeath. How did that go, man? Like how, how was it getting back on the stage for the first time? And you know, after so long, like it must've been thrilling and yet like, were you nervous at all? Like, um, yeah, absolutely. I, I, it felt, so weird to get back on stage and play live again um i i told people that it felt like being on a wobbly bike you know it's like you you know what you're doing um but you're just kind of getting used to uh going through the motions again and just kind of like going through an hour and 10 minute set, you know, like from start to finish and just, okay, like we're doing all these once and, you know, we got to just plow through these. Um, and, and, you know, like it's, it's a quick rhythm to try and get through so many songs. We usually play somewhere between like 16 to 18 songs, uh, per tour if we're doing a headliner. And, um, yeah, that's, that's a pretty quick, uh, succession of, of, uh, you know, playing. So it was, um, you know, like, I, I guess I was ready physically. Um, like the endurance thing wasn't a problem, but it's just like getting into that mental zone of, uh, having a flow throughout the entire set and being able to get through all of those songs, um, without focusing too intently on anything or, you know, being, uh, kind of out of it or whatever, you know, you kind of have to have that, that sweet spot when you play live, um, to just, just be in the zone, but not too overly focused. So like by, I don't know about half of it, I started feeling, uh, better. And, um, I know that it's, you know, the next tours are going to be better. And like, um, we had new material that we're playing too. And, um, so that that's always uh, a challenge when you get on stage playing new material because you're not really sure exactly what parts of those songs are going to trip you up live or are going to be something to think about uh, versus like when you're in the practice space and you're not really like uh, under pressure or anything. Now, with this this new record, it came out right right at the top of this whole lockdown and everything were you guys nervous about putting it out when you did or was it kind of just like 
fuck it. We're going to, like, everything was planned. Let's not hold back. Because uh, I know, dude, like, at, at the top of this, we had no idea how long this was going to go on for. So you guys, I know you guys have pushed back, like, so many tours. And then finally you got out and hit the road. So, like, how how did you find that this new album was received, given the fact that, like people had over a full year, like almost a year and a half to really absorb it in before they got to see it live. Um, it was, uh, I think like we just decided that we needed to put it out when we needed to put it out because, um, we had already pushed it back earlier and it was supposed to come out in January or maybe even December when we were, tracking this back in june of 2019 and um and then uh because albums tend to release better on certain months i think december is kind of the like lull period for um releasing albums like it's just not a big Mm -hmm. month to do that uh we decided to try and put it out in January. And then I can't remember what the reasoning was, but we ended up just uh, pushing it, I think to try and coincide with the tour that we had planned at the time, which was um, a tour with Testament and municipal waste. And um, then, you know, about mid to late March uh, was when everything fell apart and we were all stuck at our houses and, um, Uh, and so it was kind of like, oh yeah, we should definitely try and put this out when we slated it to come out because, um, you know, we, we need to give people something to, uh, do while we're all stuck at home, like something to listen to and just not lose the momentum that we kind of have right now or that you know, we could have, uh, especially with just all the pushbacks, like I was saying. So ultimately I think it really did work out in our favor. It was at the very beginning of all this crap and no one was really, uh, disheartened or, or, uh, you know, the, the shit hadn't really hit the fan <laughs> for all the things that happened <laughs> that year yet. And, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I felt like it was the right time and people really enjoyed it. And, um, it, it was a pretty good success for, um, coming out when we couldn't tour. We ended up like debuting number four or three on the billboard charts, um, for like, a uh, vinyl release and like new music or something. And it was, it was like totally surreal to see our names next to like, um, the weekend and like, I, I can't remember the other huge, you know, international celebrities that were on there, but it was just like, yes. Oh my God, metal. It's like, <laughs> we're finally getting <laughs> to like poke our faces into the, you know, top billboard, um, slots and and that's just really satisfying to see (laughs) yeah just like thinking about like a pop artist like the weekend and then the black dahlia murder right after that (laughs) like on the top billboards is is pretty crazy yeah i hope it intrigued people to check us out with a name like that next to them (laughs) (laughs) yeah dude absolutely and like you you even see like bands like gojira who released a, a record last year as well uh 
and they charted on billboards too. And it's like, all right, maybe, maybe metal is making a, a bigger comeback in the mainstream than we were really giving it credit for before. You know, I sure hope so. I mean, like I, I feel that, you know, our generation as we're getting older, we're already, um, conditioned for some of this music. I mean, like we grew up and like we watched pop punk happen and then kind of like screamo came from that. And like, then we started, I mean, a bunch of kids in my school who couldn't stand screaming music, um, went from listening to, uh, Blink-182 and, um, you know, bands of the like in, in that time frame to like kill switch engage and more, uh, heavy stuff. And so I think that like, as we get older, hopefully we're going to see more metal bands start to pop up in popular music because it's not for the total weirdos anymore. I mean, there's, there's a lot of different varieties of, uh, metal out there and there's kind of like something for everyone to a certain extent and i don't think that everybody treats it as like ooh, it's this scary inaccessible thing that i can't stand listening to um like you said there's there's bands like gojira that have a lot more singing but it's just like super heavy riffs and then you got bands like mastodon that are just like they got heavy stuff, but man, those choruses are so fucking catchy and, um, you can sing along with the whole song. Uh, and yeah, so I'm, I'm really hoping that, you know, uh, our generation is going to open the door for metal, like wider than it's ever been. Yeah, man. And like, I grew up the same way with like, with, with pop punk, that was, what really got me into music i'd say because like growing up uh we had our like group of friends and we literally like danced around genre to genre like we were listening to like everything from like ace of bass and boys <laughs> of men to like nirvana and uh like oasis and like whatever was kind of popular we'd gravitate to right as children and then as soon as i got into blink 182 some 41 uh you know like like all that uh pop punk era of like the very early 2000s and uh late 90s um that that's when i was like okay i actually like feel something from this this music i can feel the energy and, and the attitude and i i gravitated towards it and then that got me into like the rancid no effects and uh and then later like iron maiden and megadeth and that that heavier stuff right now pop punk is making a big comeback so i think that the same thing will kind of happen well you're you'll end up with this younger generation really getting into the more pop punk stuff and then as they grow older into like their more later teens and stuff get more into the the metal genres as well and since at this point black dahlia murder is uh kind of like a legacy band man uh like i remember like when unhallowed came out i was in grade 10 you know like that was what like 17 years ago 17 18 years ago i think when that came out yeah i want to say it was like 2003 yeah yeah i was in grade 10 i remember the moment hearing it man and i'll never forget it and you know so for me you know like slowly bdm is is kind of like becoming what 
to people when I was growing up and like yourself would be like Megadeth and stuff, right? That was around in the 80s, right? So like um, it's weird to think about like that uh, because you guys are still like such a still growing so rapidly and and uh, you're like right in the thick of it. But uh, like to me looking at it, it's like, you know, it's it's been almost 20 years, which is a long time for a band to, you know, still be kicking and, and doing stuff. And, uh, you know, you guys you guys will be like one of those like legacy metal acts that kind of holds the torch for the next generation of metal fans to get into. Because for me, man, it was Iron Maiden, Megadeth, you know, like all those bands that were really big in the late 80s and, and 90s and stuff uh, that I got into first. Uh, then I then I got into the Children of Bodoms and, and all that, like Arch Enemy and, and the the newer stuff, right? But so I think that you guys will definitely be one of those bands for the the younger generation to gravitate to uh, right off the bat. Yeah, I I really hope that's the case. Like we definitely don't have any plans on stopping anytime soon. And um, one thing I was gonna go back to that you were uh, talking about with um, pop punk making a comeback. I thought that that was really interesting to see. And it was interesting to see how everyone kind of uh, got pushed into metal uh, because as a lot of those bands like Good Charlotte and um, I guess Green Day becoming way more like poppy and stuff like that, um, those bands uh, started disappearing off the radio uh, and you were hearing, you know, like less and less um, rock oriented stuff anymore. And now it feels like there's so much more just electronic or like hip hop or um, just you know, not so much like instrument playing, not so much like aggressive or, or more like upbeat type of stuff. Um, and that was where I felt like, okay, now the only bands that exist and are kind of like coming up because at that time it was like sounds of the underground was happening and, um, mayhem tour was still happening. And, um, there were a few other, I think big tours, uh, summer slaughter. Um, and Mm -hmm. that just kind of was like always there. And it, it, it never was like super huge, but it never kind of like dwindled down to nothing. I mean, those festivals, a lot of those festivals are gone now and a lot of those bands are gone, but I felt like, um, you just weren't hearing so much pop punk and all that uh, different stuff uh, anymore. And it, it felt like the only thing that you could go toward that was pumping out music consistently was like more heavier stuff. And like I was saying, it like kill switch engage and um, God, like a tray you and stuff like that had elements of, these things that that those fans liked and just a lot of those really sing songy choruses and um and and i just i think like it was kind of um i guess like what most normal people think about like the metallica black album you know like i bet there's a pretty good number of people who think that like enter sandman is good even though they're not really like a metal listener you know what i mean 
And yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I don't know. It was interesting to see how how people kind of got pushed in that direction because of the absence of some of these other musical genres. And yeah, I'm wondering if like pop punk coming back is going to um, start uh, making it cool to play in like rock bands and shit again, and hopefully start pushing metal, you know, uh, out out into the public like a little bit more so now. Yeah, it it's really weird because it all kind of starts with uh like the the younger generation and and ki- what kids in high school are into and doing. Like that is what kind of decides what's popular to a certain extent. Yeah. And I've just I've just noticed that there aren't many bands like kids aren't starting bands in high school they're not like picking up the guitar when they're 10 years old or anything like that like that just isn't a normal thing to do anymore um and definitely over the past like decade i've just noticed local scenes disappear uh like we used to have a killer local scene here like in a small town in southern Ontario, you know, like, and there used to be a circuit of bands. Bands would come up from the states and stuff, you know, and 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 play in our tiny little town, you know, and there would be three hundred kids here, you know, <laughs> like, and all of them are buying merch, and it was a crazy time, and that would happen every weekend, and that scene is gone, and all the local scenes up where where we are here it's it's really only the big cities uh so i think that is is uh what has kind of like scared me in in the fact of like uh is is this dwindling but i i hope that it comes back with the younger generation soon cuz it's yeah it's it's kind of strange that like no like back in the day man like all we did was play music. Like my summer vacation, man, we'd start bands and I had like, I think three bands over summer break. And then we were gearing up to play our first show and then all schools back in. And then we broke up because we didn't have time to see each other anymore. Like, you know, like playing music was like most of my high school experience. And now I just, I don't, I don't know if the kids are doing that anymore. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I completely know what you're talking about and um the same thing happened in my city too like we had an amazing uh scene when i was in high school and there were so many bands and so many people would come to shows all the time um i also grew up in a super small town um in wyoming and you know there's not a whole hell of a lot to do so it's kind of like if there's a show going on even if you're not super into it you're probably just going to go to the show for something to do And, um, that, you know, I think even that right there, it was, it was just like people who wouldn't normally go to a show now have this new appreciation because they're like, Oh, this isn't that bad. Like, or this is kind of cool or, um, whatever the case may be. And it just makes it more like, I mean, people are, are, less like I don't know anything about this and it scares me and it's stupid and like whatever and um 
they're a little bit more like, oh, no, like all these people are pretty cool. I grew up with a bunch of friends that were into this type of shit. And, you know, it's just it's it's fun. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I uh, I mean, about kids like um, picking up whatever instrument based on kind of like what music is available and what is uh, cool in high school and stuff. And I'm totally going to slap that sampler pad out of my kid's hand if I ever see him starting with that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man. No, there's enough DJs out there, man. Come on. Come on. Exactly. And like, there's not many drummers. That's that's what I tell people. And I'm like, dude, you want to get into, you know, some bands or a lot of bands, be a drummer, because there's <laughs> not very many parents that are going to be supportive of uh, letting their kid be super loud and shitty for a long time till, you know, they they get better. <laughs> Oh man, I uh, just think of the torture that my I put my parents through for the first couple years of me trying to <laughs> trying to like right off the hop. I picked up the sticks. I was like, I'm gonna blast beat now. Oh my god, it must have been horrible. Uh, <laughs> well, I, electronic kits are so great nowadays, and I really hope that mm -hmm. you know. Um, kids can start playing drums more because of electronic kits. And I, I hope that the price point, I mean, um, I've been following it kind of, uh, but I, I've bought like all my electronic stuff used, um, and, and just assembled it myself. But I hope that that price point, you know, um, with all these different series of kits from all these different brands and stuff will allow uh, kids to get into that type of stuff. And, and then they're not breaking cymbals and drum heads and all this other stuff constantly. And they can, they can play a hell of a lot more without having to shell out so much money after the fact. Yeah, man, that's a good point. I should probably get an electric kit. Uh, cause I was just, I was just, uh, packing up for a show I have tonight and I'm like, oh, there's a crack China. Oh, <laughs> uh, there's a, <laughs> there's a cracked crash. Like, fuck, I got to go drop $800 cause I got a, a, some studio sessions coming up. I'm like, fuck. Uh, it's so it's gnarly. <laughs> I like, I realized during the pandemic that if I wasn't, um, endorsed by all these different companies, I don't even know how the hell I could afford to be a drummer. Like, I don't know how anyone mm -hmm. with a kind of average job, like, I mean, you're only a couple bucks over the average pay, um, has any ability to keep up with the gear that they need to replace on a regular basis with drums. Like, it's really kind of intimidating where it's like oh a crash symbol is fucking 250 usd and that's one and you're probably going to break that yeah. in about a year maybe yeah and that sabian does have their replacement policy which is fantastic so yeah. you got to break it like within that time so you can get a new one you know yeah <laughs> but exactly and guitar center pro coverage holy shit that'll save your ass there too yeah, man. But like, I was surprised throughout the the amount I played during the pandemic. I didn't crack any symbols up until now, which is exactly when I have live gigs that I'm playing, and then I have even more studio sessions that I'm doing now that things are like kind of open up here in Canada. Um, so now all my symbols are cracking but throughout the last year and a half I, was, I, I did pretty good so i was pretty happy with it <laughs> yeah that's that's great i'm just such a heavy hitter and i will play for many many hours a day um and so there's it's unavoidable for me like i will definitely mm -hmm. be breaking symbols and i just didn't even know how to 
um, afford re uh, replacing them because generally uh, we write it off with the band, um, but there has to be uh, tours to make money to be able to uh, get reimbursed for that equipment. And without that, I was just like, Oh my God, like I'm not working. And you know, I don't know how I can get this. And, and it just, it seemed weird to be like, well, I can make money doing drums, but how am I supposed to do drums? If you know, I can't afford to get better gear right now, uh, to, be able to play drums, you know? So it, it was, uh, a weird sort of scenario, but, um, yeah, like I, I ended up figuring it out and that was good, but it just, it was, it was scary to be like, uh, wow, drums are expensive and it's not just an instrument that anybody can play. Like you really do have to have like mm -hmm. a load of disposable income. Yeah. Or be willing to go into a ton of debt, which, you know, and then you just go to squid game <laughs> and hopefully survive. <laughs> Buddy, that's where it's at. I will be, I'll be honest, man. I didn't get past the first episode, uh, but everybody seems to be about it. So I might give it another shot, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Pretty much that, that's where I'm at. Uh, I, I live in debt and I'm hoping that uh, something happens where I, I come into a bunch of money and then I can pay off uh, my like four drum kits that I have here. And Whoa. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Well, good luck. <laughs> yeah. Because like even... Um, like I, that that's a weird predicament to be in too where you're like okay I lost my you essentially lost your job because touring stopped uh and you guys were just about to head into uh, an album cycle <laughs> so you're like I lost my 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 source of income but in order to play drums you need to be on tour so that you can write everything off appropriately and it was just that yeah that that must have been a headache trying to figure that out so you can actually play stuff it was it, it definitely was it was i wasn't sure what to do i kind of uh you know i tried to uh write like program drums for people for a little while and boy is that um difficult to get through a mountain of stuff. I mean, at least for me, like, uh, yeah. I, um, found that I, I take a little longer, uh, than I thought to try and write music to people's stuff. And especially just cause like, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. You know, I mean, I get, I would get people to send me the music and, and check it out and have an idea of what it would be before I would agree to it. But it was also like, Oh, it's, you know, kind of, um, kind of a little black metal-y and has some folky kind of feels. And then this is like way more death metal. And then this is like, uh, it's got like kind of techie parts and, and things like that. So you have to just really be able to be flexible, I guess, and, and kind of, mm -hmm. um, write quickly with those, um, those parameters, I suppose. And, um, so that was, that was like a, a brain exercise for me to, to try and jump into so many different things, um, and, and make it, you know, sound as, as best as possible for, uh, not doing those styles all the time. Yeah. You have to be able to wear a lot of different hats when you're doing 
just random session work for people. And I'm sure that like the people messaging you are like, well, it's fucking Alan Cassidy. He can fucking play whatever I throw at him. It's fine. Right. And meanwhile, you're like, I'm still fucking a human being here, you know, and you have your style and that works. And then people are throwing everything at you. You're like, fuck you. Yeah. You have to be able to really pivot and be like, like hone in on what they're doing, right? Because yeah. the project is, it's about them. It's not like, it's not about you and what you want to do. It's about what writing what's best for the, the song and the style. So, yeah. I, and it's funny, like, I take it with, with um, writing MIDI drums and stuff like that. You use your e-kit and so that way you can actually just perform it and then put it all into to midi do you do that stuff for people yeah that's that's what i would do like i mm-hmm. would um i've kind of talked about it uh on a few different podcasts but like i will play stuff i'll play the ideas that i like just i physically know oh i can jam out to this and i can play what i would want to play here but then some other sections require some like thought or some thought and some practice, I would say, because you have to be able to, you know, play that stuff um, in order to track it most of the time. But with MIDI, you don't really have to do that. You can just get your general ideas out through playing and it could be the sloppiest thing ever. And then you just like go through and quantize everything. (laughs) But so I was, I was like a mixture of those two things, like just clicking the squares and playing the stuff because, um, you know, your brain and your limbs don't always, um, think the same way. Like what's in your limbs, uh, physically and what comes out on autopilot is not the same as like what you can, uh, come up with, like really thinking about it. And, um, so that was, I think what kind of took a little bit of time was trying to figure out, uh, what it was that I wanted to do and really like playing through the songs a bunch of times and then um, filling in the gaps where I didn't know what I wanted to do just by like kind of clicking shit in. Cause it, it takes longer, you know, uh, to, to learn how to play certain things that you want to do than it would to just, like I said, breeze through it and get out your initial ideas and then kind of fill in the details with uh, actual thought to it. Yeah, man. Well, it's nice that you can sit down at your kit and you kind of get like the the bare bones and like the overall feel and everything and you can kind of bang that out quickly because if you're going in and like typing in every single kick hit and all that type of stuff it would take forever so at least you can get like the majority of of what you were trying to accomplish down and then it's yeah it's just kind of filling in the gaps and like ironing out some of the kinks and and all that type of stuff and yeah it's a great approach and honestly that's probably one of the main reasons reasons why I would get a, a digital kit in the first place is to be able to do that uh, for other bands. Like for me right now, I just have my kit mic'd up. I just record everything um, all analog. I'm, I'm analog, baby. <laughs> yeah. But um, but honestly, digital is like the, the way of the future. A lot of guys just want MIDI drums, you know? 
Yeah. So. And, and with how great technology is getting nowadays, um, I mean, you have tune tracks that just has like an insane library for, um, metal like death and darkness and um the Mm -hmm. velocities uh the velocity samples have gotten so much better and then there's like randomization for um hits so it sounds real and um and then it just makes demoing so much easier because you can get ideas out quicker and you can um not be 100 percent perfect about it but what you do with having your drums mic'd up and stuff um I think it really pushes you to be a better drummer because you're like, no, I have to actually play this. Like I have to actually get out my idea the the right way. And I can't just like, you know, slop through this and then move a bunch of blocks around and it's going to sound perfect. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing is, is that I'm not even very, um, experienced at all with, uh, live recording and uh i mean in terms of miking up the stuff myself and getting all the settings uh dialed in and all that and and that's super intimidating i think and and to have mm-hmm. um just amazing mastered samples at your disposal immediately and to be able to hear the drums like they sound mastered when you're playing them is just like Oh man, it makes me feel so fucking stoked when I'm playing. I'm like, this sounds so badass, and uh, you, you don't get that with you know real drums. I mean, you get you get something else that's a lot more raw, but you get that kind of like live energy, I guess, when you're when you're playing. It's just you got to be a lot more consistent with your timing and your um, dynamics and and all that other stuff. But yeah, it pushes you to be a better drummer. So there's I don't know, there's strengths to both, but I think ultimately the MIDI stuff is is just great for demoing and for trying to get the best sounding um, results uh, without any sort of like experience and knowledge, I suppose. Absolutely. And I am a big uh, supporter of the MIDI drum uh, revolution that's happening. I love it. Um, but at the same time, I... Uh, I I make sure that my drums in my ears when I'm recording sound as big and massive as possible. So like I will pre EQ everything. Uh, I'll I'll put some compression on reverb. Man, I want to feel like I'm on top of a fucking mountain. Yeah. when I'm recording, you know, <laughs> like and that it's so easy with with samples and pads and stuff. You're playing and and they they sound huge. So I try to do the same thing when I'm when I'm even just jamming. Or anything uh, on my kit, uh, just dude. That having that energy, I don't know how I did it before. <laughs> uh, like going into studio and just doing complete dry. Like yeah, why? Like now that I actually kind of have my own setup and I got into it, I'm like, why did I ever? ever have like dry drums in my ears with no energy and no nothing just like dead sounding like oh oh yeah it's terrible yeah Yeah. i I feel like maybe it's it's it could be cleaner but i mean if you know what you're doing you can do exactly what you're talking about like eq and make it all sound huge and it's going to be great no matter what but um Mm -hmm. yeah i mean psychologically holy crap i i can 
if I sit down on a kit that sounds like shit, I feel like whatever I'm playing sounds like shit. But if I sit down on a kit and can hear everything in my ears and it sounds awesome, then all of a sudden I'm like way more inspired and, and stoked to be playing and just, you know, ideas come out sounding better or feeling better uh, than if I didn't do that. Well, yeah, it's even how you set up your kit too. Like you sit down at someone else's setup and the toms aren't where you want them and you know like the the kicks are like way too far out or something you like i can't i can't play on somebody else's kit very well like yeah. it, it just feels like shit so i think the same thing like having your drums tuned properly which obviously with sample pads and everything you don't need to worry about that <laughs> but yeah. uh like just like tuning your drums properly can make the world a difference and like I, I'm, I'm getting more into like the idea of like the energy that you put put out there is kind of what you get back as well, um, which is why like you can get such a high from playing live because of the energy of the crowd, like like just like pulling all that in and using that is dude, it's crazy. So like like the same thing though when you hit a drum and it just like sounds so nice to your ear like that like to me releases dopamine and like gets me pumped to want to hit that drum even more. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, dude. Having, having your kit sounding nice, feeling nice, it, it, it will help your playing overall. Yeah. I think so. Anyways, you know, yeah. So some guys can just sit down and just fucking blast on whatever. They don't give a fuck. It's all just like tweaking muscles, you know? Oh yeah. Like, um, What's uh what's that guy who just blasts at like fucking eight thousand BPM? I you you know you know the guy I'm talking about. Um, um and he, it's just like he twitches his wrist muscle or something, and just he can blast on anything. Yeah, yeah, that guy is insane. I was gonna say, um, I think that that's an Italian dude, and there's this yeah. um. Uh, there's this other guy from Japan who plays in this band called, uh, Viscera Infest and he is a fucking wild ass blaster and, um, he plays in his underwear in all of his videos. <laughs> yeah. I've seen, I, okay. I've seen him. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. Everybody learn how to tune your toms. You'll thank yourself and everybody running sound for you. will thank you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. Absolutely. Oh man. All right. So, um, a little bit off, uh, the drum topic. Did I see that you recently, uh, got two puppies? Yeah, I have. Um, well at the very beginning of the pandemic, like literally the week that this kicked off, it was, it was a few days before, um, I got a, a tricolored Corgi and um, I named him what I had been wanting to name a dog for 10 plus years, which is pee-pee, like urine. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know why. I I misheard somebody saying what the name of their dog was. And I thought they said pee-pee. And I thought that was like the funniest, most juvenile, stupid name for a dog. And that is yeah. all my humor is. So I was like, I am totally 
sticking that in the memory bank for later and some poor <laughs> unfortunate dog is going to end up with that name one day and so i got him oh my God. and uh yeah he's he's great <laughs> and uh oh man but he's such a stubborn little shit sometimes like this is my first corgi that i've ever owned and they are so mm. fucking smart and they and he's a boy so like they just generally i think are a little bit more stubborn and um so it's been tough to try and figure out how to get through to him sometimes and and train him but oh my god he's such a cuddly dog like he's so loving and um i i love him to death he's he's so funny and um and then about a year later like in um march or april uh we ended up getting another dog and it wasn't even really supposed to be our dog it was like a friend who was gonna like breed the two dogs uh with us and then they were kind of like well i'm pretty busy doing uh he owns like um uh like two businesses and uh was just like yeah I, i'm i'm pretty busy right now and like you know you can you can take her if you want like because it's it's really hard for me to spend any time with her and stuff and it was just like well yeah of course you know we don't want this dog to um basically just be stuck alone all the time and so uh we ended up taking her and so it's great because i i i love corgis like i said and and it's just awesome to have two of them now and um and uh she is um her name is luna and um she's just a a like kind of classic looking corgi um both of them have heterochromia with the blue eye one blue eye and um yeah it's it's cool they're they're kind of unique looking for the corgis too not like the most traditional yeah well they look cute as fuck man <laughs> i love the photo of you like holding both of them up like uh. yeah they're <laughs> adorable they're so they're so yeah cuddly and just loving and and uh, they're really sweet dogs but um yeah it's just interesting kind of getting to know the breed and and understanding them because i've i've grown up with labs all my life and they are such people pleasers and they'll do everything you want oh, pretty yeah. much like when you ask them but uh these guys on the other hand are a little bit more um independent sometimes and you're like no i need you to do this please like listen to me <laughs> yeah well dude i had a uh english bulldog uh mixed with an old english for a while and uh, he was the same way where he he would be fantastic and cute as fuck and like awesome and then if he didn't want to do something there's no way that he's not doing it <laughs> like so stubborn like typical stubborn bulldog type like oh man and like even just he's lazy as fuck too so like i would bring him down here uh, in into my studio while I was like doing drum edits or whatever, and then I'd be like, okay, I, I wanna, I have to record this part, so we gotta, I gotta take you upstairs, and like, no, he's not leaving, like that, that was it, like he decided I had to like get treats and make like a trail of treats <laughs> up the stairs for him, you know, like because food, you know, he's he's a he's a dog, so some food, serious food motivated, yeah, serious appeasement. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's it, man. Um, oh, dude. Did you teach him how to skateboard? I know that they seem to love that for some reason. 
I tried, but <laughs> he he was already like f- I think five years old by the time he came into my life. So he was he was not feeling the skateboard at all. Yeah, no, right. He didn't like it. Uh, uh, but my my brother has uh, uh, an English bulldog. I should actually give him my skateboard so we can get uh get him on the skateboard tip because yeah dude that they do they seem to just love skateboarding and i don't know it seems weird but yeah and his dog is like super high energy for uh english bulldog like he's he's crazy so yeah that that definitely might work out i wanted to teach my dog how to do it because i always thought that was a funny trick but man um Mm -hmm. pp is like scared of everything like he is overly cautious about everything and um that's great i feel like he's gonna be really safe you know like he's not gonna um he doesn't eat anything you give him he'll he'll take it in his mouth very softly and then he'll go take it to another room and like examine it for a while and before he like decides to eat it and i'm just like dude it's a piece of chicken like come on you're you should be wolfing this down right now but instead you think i'm like trying to poison you or something and uh and the other one i don't know i I don't know if she's big enough um she's very small but like uh, we got, we got a ways to go with like trying to solidify some training with her too. But, um, hopefully, hopefully maybe we can get one of these dogs skateboarding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Or, or like BMX biking or something. cool. I, I don't yeah, know. totally. Razor <laughs> scooter. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know you guys had some stuff coming up in Europe. Is any, any of those tours, uh, still happening? Like I was trying to see if there was any cancellations or anything, but, <laughs> Uh, are you guys still planning European tour? So as far as things go right now, we've got a green light for that. And, um, we're just gonna, you know, uh, I guess plan on doing it until we hear otherwise. But, uh, we actually Mm. do have, um, one festival that's coming up, um, in December that's in Europe. So we're going to fly there for like a day and then, uh, play that and turn around come home. And then three weeks later, or actually, no, I'm sorry. It's, it's that European tour starts like mid January. So about like maybe five weeks later, we'll get over to there again and, uh, do that tour. But, um, yeah, I hope it, I hope it ends up working out. I don't really know what the situation is over there, but, um, as long as, you know, nobody's telling us we can't or whatever, we'll, we'll go do it. So, yeah, well, I know I was talking to, uh, Spencer from Archbire there a couple of weeks ago and they were like, um, they said it was very difficult for them because each country in Europe is it's because it's not like the states where it's just like okay like yeah it's the, all of the u.s you're touring whatever it sucked that you guys couldn't come up to canada at that time right yeah um when you guys are doing that last run but i'm sure it'll get made up in the future at some point once we get our shit together here but uh yeah with europe like each country has its own set of rules and uh, I guess with Archbire, they're like back and forth, back and forth. And like Germany was not going to let them in. And then they were going to let them in. And if you don't have Germany on a Europe tour, like, is there really any point to it? Yeah, <laughs> you know? like, right. Germany. It's like almost half your dates. Yeah, I was going to say like Germany is like the Texas of Europe. Like you just have so many mm-hmm. cities to hit uh, and, and you could spend like a whole week hitting shows there. Um 
So yeah, it's it's difficult when and France is the same way too. France has so many cities to hit, um, yeah. and and just yeah, if you can't go to uh, one or both of those, that could be really difficult. Another place that is not so like on our list all the time is the UK and um, their protocol. And I think like even the situation that they're going through is uh, constantly changing. You know, it's like they'll kind of get their stuff under control. And then all of a sudden there's another huge flare up of uh, COVID. And um, I'm uh, part of that band um, sludge from uh, the UK and they they haven't been able to hardly get together to write anything in the last like almost two years because uh, apparently they will shut down uh, mass transit between certain areas of the country to try and keep people from um, constantly going, you know, to places and infecting people. Um, and they write best in the same room, bouncing ideas off of each other and just, you know, uh, working in person. So it's been like pretty much impossible for them to do anything because, you know, mass transit for an area will open up and then it'll shut down and it'll open up and it'll shut down. And then they'll have lockdowns where people shouldn't go anywhere, shouldn't do anything. Um, and it's, it's been really difficult. So I'm not even, I, I think we have some UK dates, uh, on that European tour. And, um, yeah, I, I have no idea how we're, going to go from like the mainland into there. And then I think because of Brexit, it's like a big, um, it's, it's like completely different. You know, they have their own standards. They always kind of have had their own standards for things, but yeah, like you're saying, everyone has their own protocol and standards and it's going to be very interesting to see. I heard that things are starting to kind of, um, converge or, or streamline, uh, they're starting to get like just more, um, common, uh, protocol and, uh, things across the board, but it's probably not going to be, you know, a hundred percent for a while. And I would, I would imagine. Yeah, man. Well, like I, I hope everything, uh, goes well in Europe. I know it, honestly, it's probably going to be like up to the point of you actually getting on the plane, like, it's still going to be like, is this actually going to happen? And because, even when we're there, maybe, you know? Yeah, exactly. I know my, my, my good friends in Unleash the Archers just canceled their European tour um, that I think was for later this year because they're like, it's not worth the risk of it getting canceled halfway through at this point. You're losing so much money. Absolutely. Like, it's insane. Yeah. It's it insane. Like, the... Like it could be like such a heavy hit to the band that would, uh, you know, it would cause them to not be able to do certain things in the future. So it's better to just like hold off, wait till everything's okay, and they're going to be able to do everything in full. So I hope everything works out for you guys because, man, it, it, I, I did hear through many, many people that your U.S. tour went amazingly and that it was really good for, for all the bands. So, like, that that made me really, really happy to hear that, man. Yeah, thank you to all the fans that came out. That was absolutely, without a doubt, the best 
tour that Black Dahlia Murder's ever done. I mean, because it was a headliner, because we had so many heavy hitters uh, touring with us and, and just bands that people are really uh, into. Um, and, and like, you know, all these people came out for that, for those shows. And we can't thank you enough. We know that like everything is not 100%, you know, uh, back to normal yet. And everyone who came, came at their own discretion, but it was really incredible to see how many people wanted to support that and wanted to come, um, hang out and see a show and just, uh, yeah. So we really thank you. We sold out like half that tour and that's like unbelievable, you know? Yeah, man. Uh, I absolutely killer and, and well-deserved and, Dude, that's uh, that's excellent, man. All right, I I had one more thing to ask you about. Uh, a good friend of mine who is a a a big fan of yours. So he said that you were you were talking about tripping balls in a park. Um, the first time you met the Black Dahlia murder. Do you remember that? So I don't know how this story even came to be i think brian in the dvd he's the one who brings it up and okay i think that he just misremembered something but like i man what did happen it was like maybe i did take mushrooms at at some um like outdoor park thing i know that like during the last Abigail Williams tour that I was on, um, Ryan Knight came out to a show and, uh, that was in Chicago and asked if, uh, asked Ken, the, uh, vocalist, if he could, uh, if, if Dolly could try me out for uh, a drumming spot. And, um, so I was kind of in contact with, uh, Brian for about two or three weeks before, um, I submitted my stuff and then got to come out for a live audition. And I vaguely kind of remember maybe something about mushrooms. I don't really remember, but I don't think that it actually happened. I just, I, we were driving to like Yellowstone and I, we were hanging out in Yellowstone, but I don't remember there being like psychedelics at, at that time. So unfortunately it's a cool story, but I don't think it really happened or I'm just, it, it happened so long ago. I don't totally remember it. So I never met them tripping balls or anything. I might've just had a texting conversation mentioning that I might've been fucked up or something like that. Yeah. Cause he, he mentioned, he's like, yeah, they, they mentioned that you met well tripping balls, but they never told the story. And I was like, well, that's probably because they don't remember it. <laughs> like that's pretty much all that was remembered or told and leave it there. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it might have been very like, not so detailed. I might I might have mentioned something about it. Otherwise, it's just some storytelling sprinkles, you know, on on a conversation that happened that you know didn't go exactly that way or whatever. All right. Well, Alan Cassidy, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. It has been a pleasure talking to you. Uh, anything uh, else you want to say to our listeners before we sign off here? Um. I am on social media on 
Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, on Instagram, you can find me as Alan Cassidy or Pukaki. Um, then on uh, Facebook, you can find Alan Cassidy Drummer. And then on Twitter, you can find me as Alan Cassidy. Uh, I am doing a coffee with our tour manager. Um, his company is called Malaka Coffee, M-A-L-A-K-A. And um, I think it's just malakacoffee.com. Um, I have a, uh, a maple bourbon flavored coffee and um, uh, I'll be selling that for a while, I think. Like, uh, And then hopefully uh, changing up the flavor at some point. Like, I'll, I'll keep everybody updated on my socials and stuff. But um, I just put out a playthrough of uh, an Acacia Strain song. Uh, with a, a full band playthrough with um, my friends. Um, Monty Bernard uh, used to be in um, Alter Beast, did a short stint with Thy Art is Murder. He's on vocals um, and Fallujah. And then uh, Sean Hines from Ingested is playing guitar. And then um, I got a buddy of mine uh, who's playing bass. And, um, he just launched a new project called angry planets. Um, and he's on Instagram and Facebook with, uh, that name. And, um, what else? Uh, I'm going to be trying to do some more, uh, covers and, um, and then, oh man, we didn't talk about it, but I got a new kit. I've been teasing people about that. I am trying to finish, uh, doing an unboxing video. I, uh, got the kit like two or three weeks before I left on tour and um, just didn't really have the time to get everything done. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, record the drum sounds and um, do some voiceover stuff, but hopefully that'll come out soon. And um, yeah, so just, just uh, follow me on social media and um, check out that stuff and um there will be a a lot more content coming out in um the end of this year and into the next one all right i don't want to keep you long but let's talk about this kit for a second (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) now that you mentioned like i remember seeing the photo of all the boxes and then i didn't hear anything so i was like okay all right so what is it obviously it's from tama yeah. You're a Tama artist, right? And, so Yeah, and they very graciously hooked me up with a kit. Um I hit him up uh at the end of twenty twenty and was like, you know what? I kinda wanna get my own kit and um I I've just never had my own like really nice uh series drum kit uh the only one i had was a pdp from when i was like 16 and then i've just been playing on shannon lucas's old uh star classic that he gave to the band when he left and um for the last like eight years yeah yeah (laughs) you joined in like 2012 yeah and that is absolutely surreal to me as well i can't believe i've been doing anything seriously for almost a decade now and um but i mean that's such a great kit to play on too that thing sounds amazing it's a birch babinga and unfortunately babinga Mm -hmm. is now on the endangered list so you will not be able to get uh babinga um drums anymore except for tama is i think releasing a very limited run of their babinga slp snares and i 
very much encourage anyone who wants a powerful, like awesome kind of, uh, I guess it's it's kind of all around. It's got a lot of attack and and good tone, but like it's it's such a great snare. It's my go-to snare and get it while it lasts. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's not going to be around for very long. Um I know my go-to snare is a cherry and babinga blend. So Ooh. like yeah, I love babinga wood. It's great. It's so so sad that it's, you know, won't be able to get many drums with it anymore, but yeah. Go pick up one of those Tama snares if you can. <laughs> For sure. But um, so I am going to give some limited information because I don't want to blow the whole thing for uh, anyone who's going to watch the videos and stuff. But it is I ended up getting um, a kit that is uh, all maple. And it, uh, that's the first time I've ever um, played an all maple kit. Uh, so... I, I got it because like it's a very well-rounded wood. It's it's super versatile and it doesn't you know stray too far off in one direction or another with its uh, characteristics. And um, mm-hmm. then I got basically exact the exact setup that I have for the kit that I'm playing right now, which is just two. 18 by 20 kick drums and then um, three rack toms, a 10, 12 and a floor tom, which is a 16. And then I got uh, a couple of additional pieces to have an alternate kit for um, anything else. That's more like rock or um, stoner kind of oriented stuff. And that I I got a um, 24 inch kick a 14 rack and an 18 floor and um holy shit yeah so it's a it's a big boy like i oh my god it sounds it sounds so good i can't wait to um get it all mic'd up and recorded and and put into this uh video but uh my buddy you know convinced me to do it because he's like well what if they you know discontinue the uh the finish or whatever, uh, and you want other pieces. And I was like, well, that's smart. And I guess like, you know, it's just good to be versatile and you're not stuck with just a death metal setup and then trying to make that work all the time. And, um, and then, uh, I bought it all and they actually did discontinue the, um, the finish once I was done and I'm not going to reveal the finish just yet. Cause that's like the best part, but it was yeah. good that I did what I did <laughs> because, yeah, it was, it, they they stopped and kind of a bummer because it was it's a great looking kit and I love um, all the options that they had for uh, the Maple Star Classic. Like I had the most impossible time deciding what I was going to get uh, because I wanted it to. If I was only going to get one kit from them, I really wanted it to be one that I was just going to be like in love with forever. You know, I love maple kits, man. As soon as you said maple, I was like, yes, that's. That's my favorite, favorite wood for, for drums, hands down. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I am. I'm also trying to get used to um, dialing in the toms uh, with this setup because um, I did actually uh, get a one inch shallower drum than what my setup is to combat the sustain of the the maple because that was what i thought was so great about it it has such i mean like it sings it's so like Mm -hmm. just it it sounds beautiful the tone and everything and it has so much sustain but i was kind of like man well you know i play a lot of fast stuff and i want to make sure that it's all very articulate and it has quick attack and then 
that sustain is not going to muddle everything up, like rolling across toms really fast. And uh, so it's been really interesting because, man, the uh, my my um, live kit, the Birch Mabinga, is so easy to get into the right tuning and it just it sounds so rich with the tuning and it's yeah like i said it's just very easy and um great and then on on the new kit that i have i'm like oh wow this is totally different where i even sat there and tuned each head according to the pitches of the live kit so i sat there and like took the eight and just listen to the top head, the batter head. And then I flipped it over and just listened to the resonant head. And I tuned both of them the exact same. And the fucking eight inch Birch Mabinga sings and sounds perfectly like right in that beautiful tone area. Um, and then the eight inch for the maple is still kind of like on the way higher side, almost like it, it just, it kind of has like that jazz, um, resonance to it uh and it it doesn't i feel like sit as low and and have that warmth to it so i'm still trying to figure out how to tune for this new these new dimensions and this new type of wood which is very interesting but um i'm just i'm glad that it's a it's a good versatile kit like that's really what i wanted i wanted to be able to kind of take on whatever and um and just have something different. I didn't want to get the exact same thing I already have. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And like you'll you'll have that kit for touring and and, and anything that you need, uh, and you know it so well. Um, so it is it is kind of cool to now now you have a different type of wood, uh, different shell size, and you get to figure out how to make that thing sing now. So yeah, yeah, right. I'm very excited to to get it all dialed in correctly and um, get mm-hmm. some recordings done with it. You know, like definitely want to hear how it sounds in context with everything. Yeah, man, absolutely. Well, that sounds fucking like like you're having a lot of fun over there so yeah and it's it's a it's a big undertaking to try and i'm I'm doing this all on my own and uh so it's going a little bit slower than you know if i had other people who who know how to set all this stuff up and dial everything in real quick but it's good every every drummer needs to learn all these aspects of um setup and recording and playing because it's the only way you're going to be a very well educated and versed drummer i think absolutely man all right on that note thank you once again for coming and talking to me today i don't want to take up your whole day so thank you alan yeah absolutely thanks for having me yeah brother all right we'll talk soon all right take care take care thanks thanks for listening if you enjoyed this podcast then don't forget to share with your friends post on social media and tag us If you're listening on Apple Music, then please leave us a review. And if you're on Spotify, give us a follow. If you want to continue this conversation even further, then join us on Facebook on our We're Talking Drums community group. Till next time, keep drumming.